morning, everyone. Oh, happy uh, Sunday to everybody. Glad everybody could be here. Um, time to join in fellowship and listen to the word taught and preached today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then I'll begin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the, um, the ability to be able to come before you, Lord. We thank you for a place to, to be um, where we could come together as a body to, to worship you, Lord, and to uh, just to be uh, around other believers in a way that we can um, lift each other up, and most importantly, that we can glorify you with our, uh, with our voices and with the word being taught, Lord. Uh, we are so just thankful for that. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you continually pour upon us, Lord, and Lord, we do not take those for granted. Everything that comes from you is good, and we, uh, we accept those things, and we love you for them. So, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this morning as we go through 2 Timothy again. Lord, I pray that it is a time of uh, encouragement and it is also a time of uh, understanding um, how we can walk a Christian life better, Lord, um, through Paul's instructions. So, Lord, I pray that you just bless this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're back in 2 Timothy. Uh, the focus verses today will be... Uh, I'm going to go back to verse 11 and just cover that for a second, um, which is for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, uh, partly because it flows into verse 12, but also I think um, after service last week I had some questions on is there really two distinct um, offices, you could say, or two distinct gifts between teaching and preaching, and, and I do believe there are enough uh, evidence to, I think, to prove that, I guess I should say. Um, so we're going to start there, but let me read first. Um, just so we have a context of everything, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 down through 14, which we'll be going through today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The title of, I titled this is, I think we see... Through 12, 13, and 14, he uses the word guard several times. So my title to this message was guard what Paul entrusted to Timothy. Tim, Paul is encouraging Timothy to guard what he has entrusted to him and to guard the very precious thing, which we will get into a little bit. Uh, but I want to stick focused on chapter on verse 11 for just a second. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. 
We talked a little bit about this last week, um, but there is a difference between preaching and teaching. Besides these verses um, in 2 Timothy, there are other verses where they are separated. Acts 15.35 says, But Paul and Barnabas stayed at Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Even Jesus was said to be a teacher and a preacher. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. So proclaiming is herald, that is preaching, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So I think there's two distinct roles there um, of teaching and preaching. And the difference, there are slight differences, um, but they are kind of similar too. Both have to include biblical and theological information, right? It can't just be, um, we hear preachers, or you see TV preachers a lot of times, and maybe you've grown up in other churches where the preacher gets up and just uses a verse and then just goes off on his own tantrum and just says everything that has nothing to do with that verse, maybe throws in a couple of Christian sayings every now and then, but doesn't really teach the passage that he, or the verse that he spoke out on. Um, that would just not be preaching or teaching because he's not using any biblical or theological um, information there. And then there's other times where um, some preaching can actually really be teaching and not necessarily preaching. And so I think it's very useful to know you can be a teacher and not a preacher, but you cannot be a preacher and not a teacher. Does that make sense? So you can be a teacher and not have the ability to be able to stand up and preach out, but you do have the ability to be able to teach others sound doctrine, okay? Um, Jonathan Pennington wrote a book called Small Preaching. He's a, uh, was a pastor, or a uh, professor at, I think, Southeastern and some other uh, seminaries. He says in his book, preaching is a biblical and theological content selected and presented in a mode of proclamation with the immediate goal of invitation and exhortation. And then when he says invitation here, he's not meaning invite like an altar call. We're not talking about that. But it's an invitation to take in and to, um, to be on point with whoever is doing the preaching, right? To whoever is preaching, it's more monologue, right? Preaching is out there. Teaching like we do today um, in Sunday school and small groups, that's more dialogue, right? We're back and forth. You can dig deeper. You can ask questions. When I'm preaching, or not now I'm teaching, but when, when Greg's preaching or somebody's up there preaching, there's no dialogue. They are convinced and convicted about what they are preaching, and they believe it wholeheartedly, and they are conveying that out, right? And so that is the difference a little bit. And they're proclaiming it, but they're inviting you to join in. So um, sometimes in preaching, you're going to use um, analogies. You can use a lot of different things to bring the, to bring the uh, audience in with you. Um, but it is totally different than a dialogue of going back and forth and teaching. His next quote is, Teaching is a biblical and theological content presented in a more detailed and systematic way for the purpose of explaining and unpacking complex issues, their interconnectedness, and their implications. So there is overlap, but there is also distinction. So I just want to make that clear. I hope that, does that, does that clear anything up a little bit about that, or is that even more confusing now? <laughs> Sometimes I think I can do that. Okay, I just want to make sure we, we recognize the two. Um, but you are teaching when you're preaching, but you can get so much more in depth, and you can't just expand out every single thing I mean you can spend we could have spent probably two or three weeks just on verse one right if I in this context if we were truly getting together and have a dialogue and teaching but when we're when you're preaching you're, you're getting this the context of the group of verses that you're putting together and you're, you're teaching the or you're um, you're doing a proclamation of what that is saying and what you've come convinced of over your studying uh, but most importantly I want to stress both of them have to 
lay out theological and biblical information. It can't just be what you want to say. So, so I hope that's clear. All right, so verse 12, we're going to get in this um, a little bit. He starts off and he says, For this reason, I also suffer these things. So right now we're seeing Paul's testimony, okay? We're seeing Paul's testimony. And the first thing we're seeing is appointment. We go back. For this reason, we go back to verse 11. It says, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Paul, again, is relaying to Timothy. He's relating to Timothy here. He knows what Timothy's going through. We go up to the verses, you know, verse 8, he's telling him not to be ashamed. Um, he's telling about the gift that he's been given. He's, he's, he's kind of, in a way, with his student saying, look, I have been where you are. You know, I know where I'm going now, and I'm happy to be going, but I have been where you are. And I know what it means to do these things, and I know how hard it is. And that's why he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. So what is the things that Paul suffered for? We know one thing he suffered, physical harm. I mean, right now he's suffering, or not right now, and this, when he's writing this, he is suffering as he sits in a dungeon in a stinky, smelly prison, chained up this time, cold, lonely. So we know he's suffering that. But what more did he suffer when he says, for this reason also suffer these things? We talked about it a bit in verse 1 when he talks about mercy for Timothy and mercy for Titus, the pastors. He suffered a lot. He suffered abuse. He suffered um, unspeakable things. But you know what he says right here? The second verse is, but I am not ashamed. Remember verse 8, he's, he's imploring Timothy, do not be ashamed. Join with me in suffering. And here, it's, he's relating these things. He's saying right here, I'm, ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For these things I suffer for, but I am not ashamed. Because he found it joy to be doing what he was doing. Spurgeon wrote, a man shall carry a bucket of water on his head and be very tired with the burden. But that same man, when he dives into the sea, shall have a thousand buckets on his head without perceiving their weight. Because he is in the element. And the element entirely surrounds him. The duties of holiness are very irksome to men, irksome to men who are not in the element of holiness. But when once those men are cast into the element of grace, then they bear ten times more and feel no weight, but are refreshed thereby with joy unspeakable. So if you do not immerse yourself in your God-given responsibility, Timothy, you're going to see this as a burden. But once you allow the grace of God to take over you and immerse yourself into what you've been given to do, you, it won't be a burden to you. You're going to enjoy it. Ministry will not be a burden at all, but a joy as Paul saw it, right? I relate this to, my, I, I was thinking about this when I was studying this, and uh, I, some of you guys know we have a pool in the back, and I'm looking out, and, and Caleb's swimming. So even knows Caleb, Caleb, my oldest son, um, he, he walks great, does things, but when he is in the pool, he is in his element. He can stay in that pool all day long. He does his little log rolls. Sometimes he'll go underwater for a long period of time, and you think he's never coming up, but then he pops up. Um, but he is in his element there. He's not burdened by what physical things he can't do when he's walking around he is in his element and he is free to do what he needs to do and that's what the, the feeling I get when um, when you're doing what God has called you to do you should be in your element and it should not be a burden at all and that's what P Paul here is encouraging Timothy to do and to remember that this you are appointed you've been given a gift kindle that gift afresh and go out and do your ministry Timothy and don't be ashamed 
Enjoy the suffering. That's hard to say, isn't it? It's hard to think about enjoying suffering. And we've talked about suffering a lot over the last few weeks. But I, I go back to that because Paul is, I mean, Paul is just so clear on finding joy in all things and even in his suffering. But that was his appointment. And he knew what he had to do. And he was going to do it to the best of his ability. You know, he was a man after, I would say, like, David, God didn't say that, but he was a man after God's own heart, right? He was, his life was devoted to serve Christ. And we see that here. So his next line here is, you know, his testimony is he's appointed to be a pastor. And how does he do this? And how does he know? For the second, verse, for the second part of the verse, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm going to stop right there. For I know. This is a very strong word, right? This isn't just knowledge knowing. This is a personal knowing. This is Paul saying, I have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Christ, right? He is not saying, I just know biblical and theological doctrine, which he did, but this is, goes beyond that. This goes beyond knowing everything personally about Christ. That separates our faith from any other faith, right? I hope y'all, y'all probably realize that going up, and I know it can get Diluted a little times, but we have a personal relationship with the living God. No other religion, or false religion, they all are, because there's only true religion, has that relationship with their God, right? Even the Islam, which is one of the biggest ones with Muhammad, it's not a personal relationship. Muhammad is rule of everything. He can send them to hell or he can send them to heaven. No matter what they did on earth or what they, they did, their five things they're supposed to do, he can still choose to send them to hell, right? So they don't have a personal relationship. And we do. Um, and we have that because we have a personal God. I mean, the Trinity has been, the, the Trinity was there. They were, the Godhead, the three, would have been together for eternity. So they know what fellowship is. They know, he knows what love is. It's not a singular uh, God. God is one, but yet he is in three parts, which we're not getting to that because I still don't fully understand that, that one, the Trinity. Um, I, I know and I believe it because it's taught, but it's hard to put my mind around. But we have a personal relationship with God, and that's what Paul's saying right here. You don't ha- you're not serving a God that you don't know. You're serving a God that you do know. And I am convinced of this. I, am believe, I believe this with everything that I am. That's why I know, and that's why I'll suffer, because it's who I believed in. And how do we know this, right? So we look at Paul, and we know that Paul has done several different things. He, he, would, he met Christ on the road to Damascus, right? So Christ knocked him down and told him what he was going to do for him. But he also was called up to the third heaven and saw things that were beautiful, too, too beautiful to mention, and some things he wasn't allowed to come back and talk, talk about. Um, and I think one other time that he, in um, the, the desert, when he was away for a while learning from Christ. So there's at least three instances where Paul had personal contact with Christ. So he knew his Lord and Savior. But we can know the same thing because he's left us his word. You know, Romans 8, 35 through 9, 39 says, this is, his, this is Paul, and why I'm bringing this up, because this is Paul's belief in who he knows and how he knows, because it goes on to say that he will guard what he's granted to us, right? But he says in Romans 8, 35, it says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all thing, all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It's a beautiful statement. And that's what he's talking about here. He knows what Christ is going to do for him. No matter what, he cannot be separated from this God that he loves and this personal relationship that he has with Christ. Think about the people in your life that you know, especially those who are you're married, right? Your wife or your husband, or you know them intimately, inside and out, right? And there's nothing that they say or do. You know them. You probably know, if you've been with them long enough, you probably know what they're going to say before they say it, right? I get all the time from my wife, I know you're going to react when I say this. <laughs> so, and she's usually right. I try to change my way real quick so she can't be right, but, you know, she usually is. And so you know each other on an intimate level, and that's the, that's the intimacy he has here. And it doesn't matter what he's going through, he's not going to waver, and he's going to enjoy the suffering because of that. And he's putting his trust in Christ. And then he says, I know whom I believe, and I am convinced. So convinced is an interesting word here. When I say convinced, what, what comes to mind? What kind of words, what kind of thoughts come to mind when I say convinced? He's convinced. So he knows personally, and now he's convinced. Okay. So persuade? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry? No doubts at all. Completely convinced, yeah. What else? Yeah, and so I think convinced and persuade can kind of go together, but I think convinced is a more permanent than persuade, right? I think back, um, me and Cindy were watching a documentary, this has been a few years ago, on, um, y'all probably heard like the, 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 the vegan protein, like this is the big, you remember that documentary we watched? It was a documentary and we, it had the, you know, because we, we enjoy working out, but we're always looking at these things, we want to be healthy as we can be, and this, <laughs> this documentary was about a guy I think it was an ex-UFC fighter, and he start, started this pure vegetarian diet and did the, the protein stuff. And, like, there's like his one workout, and then he starts the, the diet for, like, a week, and afterwards he could just go all day. with Everybody's seen the ropes when you just kind of do this. Where's you at? But he could just go all day like that. And we're like, it just was, the whole thing was persuading me. I was like, man, we got to try this. So Cindy, me and Cindy got together, and we're like, we're going to try this. So she goes to the store, and she buys some of this stuff, which is, like, ridiculously expensive, right? And we tried to eat it, and it was just disgusting. It was gross. <laughs> and we, that lasted, what, about a week maybe, if that? Not even that. It was, it was so bad. So I was persuaded, and, but I wasn't convinced because <laughs> we tried it. And I, I was not convinced to do that diet, and I do not recommend that diet to anybody. I mean, it's not bad, but, yeah. So I think all that goes together. So not only does he have that personal relationship, he was also convinced. Now, how was he convinced? Because Paul knew the Scriptures, right? Paul was in the Scriptures daily. He could teach and preach all day long. We know in Acts, he preaches so long that a kid falls out the window and dies. He brings him back to life, brings him back upstairs, and he starts preaching again. He keeps on preaching all through the night. So, I mean, he knew his stuff, and he could just go and go and go all day long. And uh, I, I wanna, if you want to turn um, to so Acts 26, I'm going to read a little bit here. This is um, when Paul is so convinced that he's going before um, the king, Agrippa. And he's just telling him, he's telling the king, I mean, his whole thing, goal was to get before the king and then get before um, the Caesar, too. So King Agrippa, he's here talking, and he's telling him his past, what's going on. And I think this, this kind of shows why he was convinced and how he was convinced of everything. So it starts at verse 12. And he says, while so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, 
shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. See, Paul was convinced. His belief was not just surrounded in vague fog, but he was convinced of everything. He was willing to do all these things because he had a personal relationship with God, and he believed him. So I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him that day. So the next part is he believes God because he knows him. He's convinced of all these things because of his knowledge, because of his experience. You know, I think that's a big thing when we're convinced of something. Um, experience goes, is a huge part of that, right? We can say, I don't know, I just cut off the whim, but, you know, you can say that I, you know, I know what it's like when people, bad things happen to people, you know, I know what it's like, but if you haven't been through those situations, it's, it's harder to actually realize those things, right? Um, you know, I've been lucky in my life not to really lose anybody close to me um, so far. And so when people do lose somebody close, it's, it's, it's not that you can't relate, you understand, but I don't, I'm not knowing exactly what they're going through. But once you go through something, you're convinced and you know how to handle those situations. But look also what he's talking about here, what he's believed and convinced in Christ and what is Christ going to do here in God? I think it's the twofold. He, he's put his trust in him, right? He is going to guard what he has entrusted to him. It's been a long time trying to think exactly what Paul was talking about here, but I think there's several things that Paul is talking about here. One thing I think he's talking about is his life. Paul has entrusted himself to God. Paul's outlook right now is, I am about to go to heaven. And he is excited to do that, right? He tells them at other times in Scripture, he says, you know, is it, is it better for me to be here or to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven, but I think it's better for me to be here right now. But now he knows that he has entrusted his life to God, to Christ. I think also he's talking about here, I think he's saying, Timothy, I've entrusted you to Christ, right? He's entrusted Timothy to Christ. He knows that, t that he will hold all that he has given him until that day we'll get to in a minute but he guarded that I think it's Timothy I think it's Paul's life I think it's his ministry I think it's all those people that Paul has come in contact over the years and preached to and witnessed to um, I think it's um, all that entailed through his ministry is what he is leaving and trusting 
to Christ because he is able to guard. And that guard word is not just an easy word. It's a military word, right? And so when you think of guarding something in a military fashion, especially back in those days, you guarded something, you guarded with your life, right? Usually you're armed and um, you're not letting anything get in. And so he is, says that he is going to guard and keep something in. This is actually almost a doc, I mean, it is the doctrine of preservation. This is nothing that, he, you know, in verse 9 and 10, he talks about the gospel and he talks about um, election really in, that, in that, that, the doctrine of election. And here he's talking about the doctrine, doctrine of preservation. He knows that Christ is going to hold him. There's nothing, we read it earlier, there's nothing that can take him out of Christ's hand. Jesus tells, uh, tells us that, right? There's nobody can pluck you out of my hand. So those the Father has given me, nobody can take them out of, out of his hand. And that's, he's encouraging Timothy here to know that. And I think it goes even beyond that to all the believers he's given. We look at uh, Matthew 18. You know, it says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be, have been loosed in heaven. We know what that's talking about. Right? It's right after um, Matthew, or Jesus is talking about church discipline. And he's talking about believers. You know, Paul, who has confessed that these believers, definitely Timothy, he's laid his hands on him. He knows the gift that's inside of him. He has been there. He knows what he has. He knows he's a believer that he, nothing can take you away from the Father. This is... God are preserving us until the end. And that's Paul's, always his goal, his eternity outlook. Paul has always been looking to the future and not in the present. And he says it right here, that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That day is the last day, right? When he dies and we die, we'll be with Christ in heaven. If we're lucky enough for the rapture to come before we die, that's that day, right? It's the, he goes on and says in verse 18, he uses it again. It says, the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And later on in, ver, in chapter 3, um, I, lost it. I mean, chapter, I think it's 4, yeah, chapter 4. Verse 8, he says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul knew what his outlook was, his reward, right? Now, was he doing it for the reward? No. But he knew that his reward was coming on that day, and he was just looking so forward to that. And he's telling Timothy here, look forward to that too. He will hold you. He will keep you. He will guard you, your, your, your salvation your work that you're doing for him, he will guard all that until that final day. And on that final day will be glorious, right? We will get to see Christ says in Revelation 22, 12, that he is coming with his rewards. You know, it's, 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 it's going to be a bad day for some. We'll talk about that probably a little bit next week. Uh, it's going to be a horrible day for some, but for those who have faith in Christ and who he has guarded till the end, it's going to be a beautiful day. Even the Bema seat, the, the, the uh, when we are going to be judged those who are righteous will be judged in righteousness to for righteousness and it'll be a beautiful day and so Paul again is just encouraging him to do that so I ask us do we have that outlook do we have an eternity outlook do you guys I, sometimes I don't unfortunately I think we all should right but I, I think sometimes life gets to us and we 
just focus on the now or we focus on the tomorrow. Um, I just realize I, I do deal with a little anxiety. I've been told I didn't realize that when I wake up and I can't sleep. It's over stupid things like, a, you know, got to let the dog out at seven. He needs, he needs to eat. And I lay there in bed. And I'm like, I'm not thinking about eternity. I'm not thinking about the futuristic. I'm worried about the today and tomorrow. And that's not where it should be. Paul is saying he is, his outlook was all on eternity. So my question to you guys is how can we foster that? How can we continually have a, an eternity outlook for Christ? Is there a way that you can do that? A way we can do that? Yeah, prayer, yeah. I think that's right, yeah. Constantly be in the Word, constantly praying, constantly have that mindset and having that in your head all the time and doing that all the time. We'll put your focus there and not here. Yeah, thank you. I like, yeah, right. Yes.
So I'm seeing twofold here, right? So you, you have the mindset that you have to be in, but you also have an action. We have to do something to do that. And um, no, that's, that's, I'm about to knock over my uh, So, yeah, awesome. Any other thoughts? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. They go together. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the mind. So I, I encourage you um, to be like Paul in that way and to, to, to foster that outlook. And I think we got to do it. I mean, that's, that's what Paul's commanding Timothy here. Um, and that's what we should, that we should look on that day. And we should jo- rejoice in that day. It's not going to be easy, as he talks about several times, suffering and, and being torn out like we're exiles, right? I mean, I've, the more that we, the more that we, this world goes on, we're going to be even more and more exiled. If you stand firm in your faith and you hold true to the true doctrine, which we're getting ready to hit next, um, you're, you're going to stand out and you're going to feel left out. You know? Yeah. Right. Right, yes. Yeah, and it, but that aspect of looking at towards that helps you to know that these other people need to say, I need to be preaching the gospel, I need to do what I'm going to do. But knowing that I am not, this is not, where, this is not our home, you know. And isn't that a beautiful thing to think about, too, though? This is not our home. Aren't we glad? You know, I ran into some people this week in, um, in my work, and they started just, they're not believers, and some, just got some odd questions, and they were more concerned. And I, anybody knows I sell products to veterinarians, so I deal with a lot of people that are, animal crazy right especially the techs that work there and uh they were just talking about they just one this one girl was like i just hope my cat just, just died is in heaven and that always gets me started on the wrong path and <laughs> they don't like it when i tell them your your cat's not in heaven um they don't like that so that always opens up things but she didn't care about herself because she's like this is all i have but i hope the cat's in it didn't make no sense to me whatsoever but her, she definitely did not have an outlook and for a heavenly outlook so but it gave me a chance to witness and to talk and um try to get through some of their crazy crazy stuff but but yeah, we need to have that outlook on, on the future and a heavenly outlook. Because I think if we have that outlook too, we're going to do more ministry, right? You're going to have more care for the people that you're around. Um, but realize that. And how can we do that? Um, second half in here, four, 13 to 14. <clears throat> Why does Paul have this, this, this convincing, this knowledge and all this? It's because it's Paul's instructions to Timothy. Two things. One. It's kind of the same thing, but in two different ways. 13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. As we, we need to be a church, and I know we are a church, and we need to be a people that holds to true doctrine. Sound words. This isn't the first time he's told Timothy this either. He tells him in chapter 1 the same thing, that he needs to hold to, stand, hold to sound words. What this means, what standard here means is, an, is kind of like a setting boundaries. The standard here, the standard, there is nothing outside of this, right? You draw the lines, you can't go out, you can't color outside the lines, right? You're not a child anymore. You know this. You know what's been taught to you. He says right here, because which you have heard from me, all that you have heard from me, stick to those sound words and don't go outside of those. Um, we can look back in Old Testament and see some things where God commands them to kind of do the same thing. Or he does command them to stay in the same thing. Joshua 1, 7, he says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. But do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. 
That's the, that's the idea. Like we can't, it's a straight path. The, the word is the word. Whatever, what Paul has taught Timothy and what he has heard him preach time and time again, don't stray outside of that. What is Timothy coming up against? He's coming up against false teachers. He's coming up in the Ephesian church where I mean, as, soon as, Paul, as soon as Paul leaves, he starts getting people that are twirling the doctrine, right, or the gospel. False teachers, um, people out there that just want to tickle the ear, right, not teaching sound words. So this is, this is huge for us, guys, and I, I hope you all realize that. There are tons, unfortunately, tons and tons of bad churches out there. We are in a, an area in the south where you can't turn corner and there's not another church and I'm not one to down dog other churches or anything but there's a lot of them that do not hold to sound doctrine right they let myths and genealogies as he talks about come in but they let their own ideas come in they don't let their own interpretation of scripture one of the when I first started to come get into MacArthur one of the first things he ever says I don't care what scripture says what it means to you I want to know what scripture means right and then we apply it and we draw out from that but I don't care what it means to you this is what it means to me I feel it no, Scripture means one thing, and we got to find out what that means. Scripture means what it means. Um, there's some friends I know, and then some of the Bible studies is just like they get a, they're going to do a book study, and they just have a blank book, and it's like read a passage and then write everything down that you think it's telling you, which can be helpful, but not necessarily. How about let's write everything down we think what it's saying, right? And then how do we apply that to our lives? Brian went through a whole thing on how to study the Bible. There's a lot of ways to figure all that stuff out. And not just what it means to you. So we need to get away from that. And we need to hold on. We need to retain it and not let it go. So when we're discussing things with other people and we're coming in contact with definitely non-believers or we're coming with people, other churches or denominations, um, and they're saying things that aren't true and they're going outside of those things, how hard is it to, to say, oh, whoa, 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 that's, that's wrong. <laughs> let me show you where it's right. Is that easy to do, especially among other people? I think it's easier when we run into people that don't believe because they don't know anything about Scripture half the time anyway. Only little tidbits and stuff they hear. But when you're coming out of the believers actually go to a church and actually maybe read their Bible a little bit too, but they are on the wrong path, how hard is it to confront them and change their mind, right? Or not change them, but convince them. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's one of the biggest issues, unfortunately, is that we, we soften it. You know, you know, talking about somebody's sin and telling somebody they're a sinner and that God is the holy and you have no right to even be in his presence, people don't like to hear that, right? So we, we do soften the message and we just, or we leave stuff out that is true and they don't get a full picture of what, this, what scripture is. You know, it's, it's, it's horrible to see. You got some that are false teachers and they're out there preaching stuff just for money, right? And those are these ones that the spot out. It's the one that soften the message that you got to kind of be careful and look for. And that's what it's saying because he's getting away from it, he's retaining it. And there's two different folds here. But, um, you know, he says, to, he says in, 
Paul talks to, talks to them. He says, I am, so, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. That's Paul talking to the Ephesians. Like he's, you're to be accursed if you're preaching a different gospel. And so we got to be careful and we have to retain it. But not only do we have to retain it, then we have to guard it. Verse 14, guard. The, oh, let me go back real quick. Retain it. And you hit on that too, I think, a little bit. Because it says in the faith and love which are in Christ. So it's the faith of Christ that we retain it. And it's the love towards our fellow brothers and sisters that we preach it. And we're, that we stick to it, sound words. So we retain it in verse 13. In verse 14, we guard it. So verse 14 says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted, but has been entrusted to you. And then it's awesome. In verse, he tells him the same thing in 1 Timothy 6.20 at the end of the first book. He says, oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. But he doesn't leave us alone there, does he? Guard through what? The Holy Spirit. So he never leaves us. God does not leave us alone on our own. We can't do it on our own anyway. He gives us help. Through the Holy Spirit, you know, go back to verse um, 7. And, you know, God did not give us a spirit of, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. That is going to help us to guard through everything. You know, what are some things in your life that you hold on to and guard pretty safely? Is anything? Does anybody have a safe in here? What's, What's in your safe? I want to know, and I want to know where you live, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> I need the code, the key. No, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you, I got a safe, and what's in my safe? My safe is, uh, has our passports and our title to our car and my gun, right? Now, it's a little bitty safe. The house burns down. I, think it's not, I don't think I'm going to get to it out of there. But what we put in our safe is sometimes what we cherish the most, right? Who has, I guess I won't ask who has a safe or what's in it. But we've heard these things, like, what people cherish the most. And in, in our time and day and age, it's a lot of different things. I know people, well, when I did my handgun carrying class, the guy in there was like, he had a, he had a safe with all his guns in it. Well, somebody came in and stole the safe, right? So they couldn't get into it, but they just stole it. So what'd he do? He's like, I bought another one, and I bolted it down to the concrete. So now at least they can't steal the safe and steal that. But that was his most prized thing, obviously, is what he had in that his gun safe, and he wanted nothing to happen to that. But that's the, that's the analogy here, right? This is, that's how we should hold to the scriptures. We should guard that like we would guard our most valuable treasures. We should lock it down, put it in a safe, bolt it to the concrete, however we can do that. We have to be a body and a church that does not waver, does not falter to society, and does not give in to things. We need to be able that we retain and we guard the truths of scripture. And we don't get off of those. I know sometimes that's hard, right? I don't know. Uh, when we first started coming to this church, this, this is a little different church than a lot of others go to, right? It's the, we we preach, preach the word and we stick to the word and we don't go here or there. Just like he tells us, don't waver. Don't be tossed back and forth like they told, they told Ephesians in 4.14. But we hold to the truth. And we, we had some people that come, came here and they, they would say that, oh, Greg, and I'm going to call you out a little bit. Greg and Brian are a little bit presumptuous or arrogant. Right, and I'm thinking to myself, that's a strong word to say that they're because you're you're sure of what you're teaching, right? What you're preaching and teaching, you're you're sure it. You're guarding your sound in what you're teaching. I said that's not arrogance to me. To me, that's somebody that's confident and knows what the scriptures are saying, and they're gonna they're gonna make sure that they tell it 
and they're not going to get away from it, and they're going to let something come in and soften the message. They're going to stick to the truth. And that's what I look for, and that's what, one thing that really drew me to this church was because they're not going to waver from hard things. I've been to several churches where it's like they'll read a passage and they just miss or skip over some of the, even the words within the verses because they don't want to talk on them. And that's not going to happen here. We are going to retain it, teach it, stick to scriptures, and we're going to guard it. We're not going to let it waver. So that's my encouragement to you guys, and, and I think that's another thing as we look at how the outlook on of, of, you know, eternity outlook, it only comes from the scriptures and knowing the scriptures. So my encouragement to you guys is to, to treat the, the word of God like you would treat better than you would treat anything material possession you have here. Hold to it. Retain the sound words. All that we know and re- hear are in the scriptures, we need to retain that. And then we need to guard it and make sure. When he says guard, he means make sure that it doesn't get defiled. Right? So when we hear, we come across somebody that says something that's not scriptural, not biblical, we need to be bold enough to call them out in a gentle way, in love, and say, though, that's not right. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's instructions to us. We thank you for his life and his testimony, that he was a man who was willing to suffer and found it a joy to suffer for the sake of preaching your word, to teach others who you are and what you've done for us by going to the cross. First of all, you lived a perfect and sinless life, and then you willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. And Paul knew that, and he knew, though, that you are the first resurrection, and that one day he will be with you in heaven, just like the rest of us who believe, and that you will not let anything happen outside of that. Lord, you, were, you will preserve us till the end. It's not that we have to sit around and not do anything, but we are called to go out and proclaim the gospel and to, like you say here, guard the word. We are to retain the sound words and not let the world and other fables and stories or whatever get into and, and delude the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that continues to do that. Lord, I pray that we are a church that is so grounded in Scripture and in your word that we do look different to others, that we are definitely set apart. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would just instill that in each and one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that as the time goes on that we would enjoy fellowshipping with one another, that we would be lifting each other up. And Lord, I pray that um, as Greg brings the word today that we would, you would open our hearts and help us to, um, to take it in, but not just to walk out of here and uh, just to be a hearer, but to be a doer of the word. And Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, Lord. I pray for those in here that may not know you, have not come to the realization or to the knowledge of, um, of your lordship and, their, and for your saving faith, Lord. I do pray for them that you would move in their hearts and that, they w- that you would open up um, their, their hearts and their minds to an understanding of their need of you and that their life is nothing without Christ, without you. And Lord, we just praise you and we love you. And thank you for all that you've done. In Christ's name I pray, amen.